Cradleine Network. So you think you're in love? Yes, you probably are. But you wanna be straight about it. Oh, you wanna be straight I am the Lord, and this is the ninth episode of Big Meg One. My name's Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is a podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the magazine volume one, issues 12 and 13, cover dates September and October 1991. This episode, Raptor is eating heads. Razors goes to solve block one, Al's baby is changing diapers, Armitage is dodging drones, and Young Death concludes. And if you want to read along with us, you find the comics we're covering today in the Judge Dredd Complete Case Files 16, the Al's Baby and Young Death Collections, and the Judge Dredd Magazine Issue 287. All right. How you doing this time, Eli? Another exciting set of uh, Dread World adventures and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. I love your um, how you set things up, how you give them just a little teaser, because all that's yeah. accurate, but you're not really telling them what nah. happened. It's like gotta, one of those... <laughs> well, it's the it's the double thing that this is also what I put like those words are also what I put in like the episode of the description and stuff like mm, that. Right. So I'm hoping that it'll both tantalize the listener and entice the person potentially listening right. to give the episode a chance. Or uh, maybe if they've read this stuff already, be like, oh, yeah, like I remember that stuff. I'll yeah. check this out. Yeah, I think it's one of those the, the way you phrased it. It's almost like a genie wish where it's like. You said the words, and that's true, but how you said them leads to some other, you know, interesting Ooh, things. I yeah. hate that. I hate that literal genie stuff, Eli. Right. Yeah, like um, you, you mentioned uh, Al's baby, cha- Al changing a diaper. And I'm like, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like not that. what you expected. Right. It's horrifying, in fact, absolutely. <laughs> I like that. And speaking of terrors beyond human comprehension, Eli, <laughs> let's get started with Story One Raptor. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Dean Ormston, letter robot Tom Frame. So, last time, Dredd, while investigating a murder, found a human skull up in a catwalk, and now the judges are checking it out. Something ate all the skin and the brain from this skull. Dredd theorizes it might be a cursed Earth mutant or some kind of alien animal escaped from a zoo. He puts an all-points bulletin out and heads to a reported robbery as this strange raptor creature looks on from the shadows. At municipal months, some perps are crapping a, are cracking a safe, I should say. But uh, when they get it open, it's just a decoy safe. Oh no, it's got a cheeky note inside. I hate when that happens. Dread arrives and the perps open fire, but Dread doesn't care, man. He just rolls into the building on his bike, firing his cannon everywhere, riddling these dudes with heat-seeking bullets. He's the best. <laughs> One of them turns on a spotlight, which blinds Dread for a moment, and in that blindness, he accidentally shoots a big Munz tank and drops it on the crooks. Oh, jeez. Just Can't so you know, you, yeah, definitely. Just so you know, you like Munz is like um. This, it's like a futuristic, like, tofu kind of thing. Okay. Like, a lot of what the, of the food that people in Mega City One eat is months. Mm-hmm. And it's this sort of, like, substance that gets formed and flavored into other foods. 
that are then eaten. Is the secret ingredient people by any chance? No, but it is a um, a plant that's mostly grown out in the fields around Mega City One. Okay, and like 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 in the cursed earth, and weirdly, the plants that grow are strangely head shaped. Like they're, mm-hmm. the plants look like a bunch of vines with like human heads hanging mm-hmm. off of them. Like, someone saw it and was like, "I gotta eat that." I mean, they might be genetically engineered, and that's just how they ended up looking or something like that. I see. All right. But, yeah, no, mostly it was just like, listen, like, ooh, like, this stuff tastes bad, but I bet we could form it into some sort of loaf. Like, ooh, mm-hmm. that works. Mm-hmm. I was, I always love uh, in Mythos when they actually explain, you know, what people are eating. That's something that gets overlooked so com- often. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that they're like, hey yeah. – here is a big uh, a big side point is that unprocessed month smells terrible. So these guys mm-hmm. are getting dunked in a bunch of smelly mm-hmm. goop. Nice. <laughs> mean, meanwhile, reporter Cheever Mahoon of Street Beat is back online after getting beaten up by those oinker gangs. He flags down Dread and asks what's going on, and Dread just does his usual stick as he wheels out a big wagon full of perps, like, you know, follow the law and you, I won't kick your ass, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Dread gets a call about the beast and rides off after it, and Cheever's like, whoa, what's going on, and follows him. Um, uh, um, Dread rides um, to this uh, – to- rides this motorway with his gun out as the raptor observes him. The judges have found those pig gang guys from last episode, and they now track its bloody footprints from those corpses all the way to the edge of a walkway where it disappears. Ooh, very mysterious. <laughs> Dread calls an aerial surveillance as Cheever arrives and finds all these dead bodies as well and broadcasts them out. And one guy watching him, the head of the local city block, Tom Mohan's uh, city defense force, decides to spring into action. Suits up, calls his buddies, and prepares to fight the monster. When from his balcony with a bunch of thwips, he gets pulled off his own balcony and eaten by Raptar himself. Yeah, bad luck. I mean. <laughs> Seriously, what a coincidence, you know? Right. <laughs> I will say um, the city the city deaf, and we see them a little bit more um, um, coming up, are one of my favorite little wrinkles in Mega City 1. Oh, nice. Which is that basically every block, it seems like, like city block has its own city defense force, which is basically like a small army of interested folks and stuff. And they've got like uniforms and guns and all kinds of stuff like that. It, and make, it makes sense uh, just based on how things are currently. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's got a very American feel to it, I'll admit. Right. And while they're supposed to be like a militia to help defend the city in times of trouble, like I've seen Mega City 1 invaded at least, you know, twice at this point, once by the Savs in the Apocalypse War and once by Judge Death in Necropolis. And both times the city defense forces have done nothing, <laughs> like worse than nothing because they got swept up by block mania and everybody just fought each other mm. with high tech weapons. Uh-huh. And when there when there's not an invasion, it just means that there's a reason why every city block has a bunch of heavily armed jerks just mm. waiting for a moment to get in everybody's way and cause a lot of trouble, basically. Even in this future post-apocalypse, you can't get, take guns away from Americans, you know. There's going to uh-uh. still be a handful. They're, they're going to need their guns. That's right, yeah. No uh, – no, no taking away guns. No military guys quartered in my house. First, right. uh, second and third amendments, Eli. Those are the ones that I care about. Okay. <laughs> right. Third <laughs> amendment undefeated, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this H-Wagon has spotted something at the Tom Mohan block and zooms in to see Raptor biting off that city defense guy's skull, eating his brain. Dredd gets the call as he and another judge ride out, and the creature's very fast, but then just disappears from view, which is, of course, weird. The city defense team, meanwhile, is gathering, preparing to move out, even though their leader hasn't shown. Um, they haven't been alerted as to why <laughs> they're gathering, but I know something's up, so they decide to walk around a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, Dredd's investigating the site of the disappearance. He doesn't think that the obese can teleport. It's more complicated than that, so he calls a side judge to help out with the search. Meanwhile, the city defense is looking for looking for trouble, and they smell something real terrible. And when they open the door, chasing that smell, they find it's a bunch of corpses in a room full of explosives. This is bad, and things go from bad to worse when Raptor shows up and starts killing them all. Oh, jeez. The troopers start shooting, which the judges hear and respond to. The creature is just sort of wading through that gunfire and ripping people's faces off. He's killing lots of dudes. He got Frodo. Oh, no. Yeah. One of the city defense guys is like, Jesus Christ, guys, stop shooting. There's all those giant boxes of explosives everywhere. (laughs) No dice. And the whole (laughs) place explodes. (laughs) Just as the judges arrive. One of the judges, the non-dread one, approaches the body of Raptar, saying nothing could have survived that because he's not familiar with what kind of movies he's in right now. You're right. <laughs> Never say that. Was yeah, he well, and at least definitely don't like go to po- you know get a stick to poke the body. Right. You know, do that first. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Raptar comes alive and bites this dude's arm off. You know. <laughs> Then from that, it then leaps onto the shoulders of Dread, and we get a pretty cool, you know, alien-style thing here of, like, the Beast and Dread, like, sort of face-to-face, one staring down at the other and stuff like that. Right. Now, I know you you knew the date of this. Did this predate uh, Predator, the Predator movies? Oh, no. No, this is after Predator, for okay. sure. I was saying some of his abilities are like, because I'm taking that disappearing as, like, uh camouflage and Mm. the uh, infrared as you know hunting things oh yeah no i mean we talked about this a little bit last time when things when it seemed like when we got the look of it and it seemed more venom ish Mm. right but i mean this thing's clearly venom with like predator and alien sort of matched in there as well like yeah like you say the heat vision and stuff is very predator and and the the disappearing and stuff Mm. um this part here with like you know like the image of the raptor's like face over dreads and stuff it's a very mm. alien kind right. of like that you know those those ones in in aliens where like ripley's being menaced by the one mm. xenomorph and stuff right you know we're seeing a lot of a uh, lot of influences here for sure mm-hmm. it's fun. <laughs> but yeah cool you know fun times and speaking of murderous entities right yeah let's continue mm-hmm. on to story two young death <laughs> Script robot John Wagner is Brian Scudder. Scudder, art robot Peter Doherty, lettering robot Steve Potter. Okay, so our buddy, Judge Death, he's made the transition to zombie or whatever in his flashback. So he doesn't like that term, so be careful. Right. He knows that his dalliances with the Sisters of Death have distracted him from his larger goals, but now it's time to refocus on those. Naturally, of course, his biggest goal, which is just killing everybody. You know what he's like. <laughs> As he sort of talks about this, Scudder, the, the 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 writer of this piece, describes Death's missionary zeal for uh, killing people. As Dred Anderson and a few other judges sort of rush to the Sylvia Plath block, we see them all 
going up the elevator to Miss Gunderson's apartment as sort of nervous old people also in the elevator sort of stand next to them. (laughs) Or lift, I suppose you might say. Um, But with his power and ascent, Death visits the chief judge. And the chief judge is like, oh, Death, could you please stop killing everyone? Just arrest someone now and then, just for public relations purposes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But listen... Death disagrees, of course, and I think we all figured it out at this point. The crime is life, the sentence is death, and he kills that goddamn chief judge. <laughs> and I guess that's how it works. That then makes him chief judge. Right. And thus, he's able to outlaw life, and the large-scale murder begins. And soon, his world becomes dead world, a place without crime, violence, noise complaints about noisy neighbors. Or noisy neighbors. neighbors. Right. Yeah, or just any kind of living person, basically. Right. I do think that's a flaw in the system that if you kill the guy in charge of you, you become the guy. Like, especially seeing, you know, Judge Depp. Like, he seems yeah. like he'd be the first one to, I think that guy's going to kill me and take my place. It's nah, it's feels probably like one of those, fine. Yeah, one of those situations where Depp's getting by by violating the norms, basically. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he's able to sort of assert his power because no one else ever, ever thought they'd be abused in this way, you right. know? And, and I guess everyone's dead. Yeah. And you can't – I guess you can't really stop him. Were you going to shoot him? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it is It is hard to say no to death. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So – um, and yeah. So at this point, he you know, follows things out. Eventually, the other top judges transfer to Judge Fire, Fear, Mortis, et cetera, and he kills everybody. Um. A lot of the process of this has actually been more fully documented in recent years with a series in 2000 AD called Fall of Dead World, which is a very sort of like talks about like sort of is set in that dimension and has sort of regular folks like sort of experiencing death's rise to power and conversion of judges and then sort of the judges then go mass large scale uh, killing people and stuff. And then die, right? I mean, a lot presumably, of death in that, I assume. Yeah, the series isn't over yet, but I mean, it is definitely one of these things where, um, you know, you've got to assume that it's not going to end. Hopefully, for the mm-hmm. for the for the heroes of the story, you know, they right. like death is the bad guy. It's it's one of those um, the Walking Dead kind of things where mm. you're more interested in how long they're going to last as opposed to if they're mm-hmm. actually going to succeed in anything. I guess mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. But so. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Oh, man. So, I'm all over the place. Scudder goes to leave as Death asks him both about, like, where his brothers are being held, the other dark judges, and then if Scudder could sort of lend him enough money to pay this month's rent, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in the present, we see the judges outside Miss Gunderson's door. Scudder leaves, and in the present, the judges kick down the door and give a sleeping Mrs. Gunderson quite a fright. Oh, jeez. Anderson at last senses Death's presence and they find the dead bodies in his room as well like oh yeah he was here look at those corpses <laughs> later they interview Miss Gunderson and she had no idea that she had a living avatar of Death staying in her spare room it's tough after looking at his stuff they've actually found a second recording by Scudder it seems that as the details of Judge Death came out, which we saw printed in the pages of the Mega City News, Death has become f- furious at the clickbait nature of the headlines about mm. his life. Oh, no. I mean, it wasn't clickbait that clickbait dead, but you know what I mean. The All sensational right. details right. of his life. Yeah, trivia. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they took his story and they made it mindless trivia. <laughs> Scudder says he had to be sensational because everyone decided he was making up the story and stuff. De- Death doesn't care, though. So he killed Scudder and then presumably dumped his body and escaped into the city. Anderson's concerned that she can't sense death all that well anymore, and there's no telling where he'll end up next. But I'll tell you, Eli, that the answer is that he'll be next fighting in the pages of the Judge Dread Batman crossover Judgment on Gotham, as Whoa. is made clear on the next page, which has a big uh, teaser um, image for it, with like an eagle fighting a bat in midair, which is pretty dope. And yeah. then like Batman complaining that everybody's so wacky in this new reality. That is pretty cool. Yeah, no, Judgment of Go- Judgment on Gotham is is it itself is cool, and like we're gonna talk about it later this year, but um. I don't. Uh, me and Fox are, but maybe I could get you in there as well, or at least get you to take a look at it because I think you you'd like it. It's just, right. you know, it's fun to see. Like it's got, got art by this artist Simon Bisley, who's a really in a, a really amazing artist with this very distincted uh, uh, painted style and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just everything's real over exaggerated and mm-hmm. and like hyper realistic and stuff. It's pretty awesome, right? And like there's like the Scarecrow and all these guys. It's good mm-hmm. times. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but I guess let's go from one um, huge um, villainous mega epic subject of uh, Judge Death and continue to another East Meg One in Story 3, Red Razors. <laughs> Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Steve Yole, coloring robot Philip Lynch, lettering robot Annie Parkhouse. All right, Eli. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Sav Block 2 Judge, Red Razors, on the trail of the purline corpse of Elvis. Now he's out on the rad wastes, and he's just encountered a strange group of people, the Circus of Delights, which is all over the place, I guess. Yeah. Um, just well, T-Rex, to, to, turtles, two-headed people. I definitely like the other uh, little dinosaurs all these guys have. Right. But yeah, it just seems like... He's at like the edge of this cliff face, and just a whole bunch of uh, like I don't know what the like I, they're sideshow Car- freaks, yeah, but that's carnies, not the term. Car- yeah, yeah, like weirdos. Yeah, you know, a lot of your your co joined twins, your bearded ladies, your Cyclops. animal tamers, right. the short people, things like that. Little people, I should say. I don't know. It, <laughs> it, it tests my whiny liberal vo- <laughs> vocabulary, Eli. I must say. <laughs> It's fair, it's fair. Yeah, but so, um, listen, a ringleader type in sort of a furry yellow coat grabs Red and says, Oh, yeah, listen, you can't pass until we make you smile. Have a good time. Um, There's a big show. We see, like, him introducing some folks. There's a burnt-up fire eater, an anorexic strongman, a dinosaur tamer who has, like, a little baby uh, stegosaurus that he makes jump through a hoop, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. It's funny because some of these like folks are like they're clearly jokes like mm. oh this person isn't actually weird or something like that right. and other people do seem to actually have weird stuff and talents or mm. like i don't know different like d- disabilities or something like that so it's right. hard to tell exactly right razors hands over some food and the ringmaster shows him into the like big trailer with the big uh, stuff there's the amazing ice boy and the beardless woman which is like okay guys mm-hmm. and uh, the star of the show the carnivorous cabbages and they're eating some of the members of that elvis gang oh no 
Razors open fire on the cabbages, demands answers. The ringmaster admits they got the bodies uh, from some crazy block one judges deep in the rad wastes and says, you'll never find them now. But Razors clearly says, ah, I might if you show me because I've got a gun to your head. And that seems to work. <laughs> deep out in the deep in the uh, bombed out remains of sob block one, Judge Nutmeg holds court, accuses a dude of various made up and ridiculous crimes, then shoots him in the face. Judge Death style. You know, we've seen this. <laughs> The Elvis gang are tried and sentenced to a slow, painful death. Meanwhile, it seems the body of Elvis itself is being boiled into a nice soup. Oh, no. Is that one of those bone broths, you know, making like a st- <laughs> like a like an Elvis stock here. Right. High quality some, soup. Yeah. You put some carrots in there, like some potatoes and stuff. It's good. You know, you can use it to make other soups, basically. Get like a nice minestrone based on your Elvis broth. Um <laughs> I'm trying to think of Elvis songs to make soup puns with Eli, and having trouble, and I'm having trouble with it. Send them right. in if you if you're listening to this and you've got <laughs> some, like blue suede stew. Ooh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's good actually. I, I don't know enough Elvis songs, so you've already exceeded my knowledge. I know. I it's, listen. It's t- I don't know a ton myself, so it's tough, you know. Um. Anyway. <laughs> We um, Prog 13 starts with some spooky um, backstory and red narration boxes for the destruction of East Meg 1, how the city was burned with nuclear fire, and a few survivors went mad in desperation. Decades later, East Meg 2 has been renamed Sob Block 2 for marketing purposes, and Sob Block 1's been sealed off. Which sounds like a retcon to me where just they publish an issue or two, not realizing that they got the name wrong. And now they got to figure out a reason why, basically. <laughs> right. No, that can't be it. I'm sure all this is legitimate and completely I necessary. Mean, yeah, listen. I know a retcon when I see one of you. <laughs> yeah, I read comics, you know. <laughs> no. Anyway, doesn't matter, though. In Sob Block 1 – oh, sorry. But the judges live here, lived on, though they wish they hadn't. In Sob Block 1, Razor's riding in on the horse, Judge Ed, passing bodies strung up from light, hanging from light posts with with placards around their neck for crimes like didn't eat his greens or didn't do the washing mm-hmm. up and stuff like that. The narration continues as Razor's heads in of judges rebuilding their courts and avoiding nuclear poison. They reach the so-called Hall of Justice, which is just sort of like a fence in a building with a sign made out of a sheet with a dead body on it that says staff only as well. It's pretty pretty rough. Um, and as they just start to go in, Ed's like, hey, listen, like I only am I'm only a judge inside soft block two, so you can go down there on your own. You know, I'm a horse, I stay outside. Right. It's the basic point. Mm-hmm. Um so Ed heads in so sorry, so Razor heads in. Meanwhile, at Walton's Mountain on the border of the Saw Blocks, which is um looks like from the TV show The Waltons, but they've sort of carved it into a mountainside, Mount Rushmore style, I guess. Um a giant dollar sign spotlight appears in the sky as a blue van approaches a helicopter. It's clearly the goddamn mystery mystery machine and and with a full Scooby gang with it. Scooby-ish, right. There, there's some key differences. Yeah, well, I mean, mm-hmm. the big one, of course, that the dog is green and covered and getting uh, dollar signs, for right. sure. <laughs> big capitalist Scooby. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're here to help the uh, the Soblock 2's chief judge get Elvis back. 
since there's been no word from Razors for a few days, he's worried about it. Uh, Velma lights a freaking joint as the uh, chief gives them deputy badges. Scooby and Shaggy are, of course, scared of the prospect of Sobvok 1 mutant judges, but Velma just freaking pulls, like, pulls out her Glock and says we're good to go. <laughs> Pretty right. solid. Jakey's. Seriously. <laughs> Razors enters the underground, worries about the fate of Elvis. He passes the strung up body of the Elvis gang, which is not good, but they've only been dead for a couple hours, so he's close. He goes further underground, worrying that he's missing an episode of Joni Loves Chachi, and then finally is confronted by mutants. One attacks him and he takes and he shoots it, but then he's quickly surrounded. He starts shouting, like, you're all under arrest. Come along quietly as they swarm him and pull him to the ground and stuff like that. Things look bad when Chief Nutmeg suddenly suddenly appears and Razor, still full of confidence, says, I'm taking you in. Surrender and come along quietly. But Nutmeg is not interested in this for sure. And sort of, you know, it's like, oh, you're in trouble now. Next time on Red Razors, G.I. Reds. So see how it goes. I'm interested in the Scooby-Doo gang, Eli, I gotta right. say. I gotta know more about them. Like, because they're clearly, like, almost Scooby-Doo. Right. Like, you know. It's... I mean, there's clearly everyone there, but they look like they're sort of, like, someone's put them through the reality ringer. Right. And so, they're a little different, you know. They've definitely seen some stuff, been through some things. I'm excited. Yeah, Fred's, got, Fred's got platform shoes, all kinds of stuff. Right. Velma's <laughs> got a gun, you know. These are key differences. Yeah, labors of love. I feel like uh, if you they went through the time of actually putting them in, so excuse me, they uh, oh. probably have some uh, really cool feelings and ideas for them. So I'm excited to see. Yeah, something. I mean, I feel I don't know if Scooby Doo is like you got to remember this is England, so I don't know if Scooby Doo. <laughs> Is the exact same known quantity that it is here in the states. Like if you if you see this version of the Scooby Doo gang, you instantly know. Like, wait a minute, or if that's more of a niche thing mm. that, that people might not know off the top of their heads, I guess. Maybe sometimes you know it's that's sorry that's the the, the challenge. I th- I feel like I always have Eli. It's right. just like like there's a lot of things I've thought were just sort of random. Things that happen in the comic that turn out to be like references to British pop culture, for right. instance. Yeah, but so I mean, you don't know. You're the educated one. I, I have no hope. Yeah, I'm just – well, listen. I'm not saying one way or another. I'm just saying <laughs> that like, you know, something interesting to put a pin in. Plus, right. like people listen to this show, so maybe they'll know and they'll like, you know, yell at me and be either <laughs> like, of course we bloody know who Scooby-Doo is. <laughs> right. <laughs> or they'll be like, I just realized that now, 30 years later. <laughs> A lot, of, a, lot, a lot of accents this episode, right. Eli. Yeah. I apologize. I like it. No, it's all right. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm branching out from my usual uh, gruff dock, dock worker one and my little rich kid one. You know, it's pretty <laughs> solid. <laughs> hey, but speaking of the people who read this comic, let's go to covers, editorials, and dreadlines. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Because that's named the that's named the letters page, so I might as well mention it, you know. Yeah. So issue thirteen, the magazine opens with a very scary Judge Death cover by Pierre Doherty, very toothy here. Um, the inside cover is a full page ad for Terminator Two, which is just coming out. Very solid. <laughs> I mean, I remember that movie came out. That was a big deal. Um, I try. I tr- my my dad took me to watch it in the theater. I was too much of a wuss for it. Oh man, <laughs> little kid Conrad, not good at things that are sc- that are vaguely scary. Now it's one of my favorite movies, so it works out in the end. Nice. Um, 
The editorial touts the end of Judge Death and how it will tie into Judgment on Gotham. There's also plugs for the crew, for the uh, 2080 crew heading up to the United Kingdom Comic Art Convention. Like, check us out. And the about-to-be-released uh, graphic novel for America. The credits, uh, the cr- this time the words on the credits are a dozen dreads. Because it's issue 12. Good times. The product ends with a massive ad for video games and stuff at a store called Software City in Wolverhampton. And the back cover has an issue of uh, Megapolitan Magazine, sort of a reference for the uh, to, uh, the, to Metropolitan Magazine. This is the Necropolis issue where there's a goth chick on the cover and they just sort of ask, like, maybe Judge Death is misunderstood or <laughs> a guide to this year's fashion for what to wear to funerals, stuff like that, or mass burials, I should say. Right. Very important. Topical. Uh, yeah, listen, topical for or kind of topical for Necropolis, honestly, like that right. story ended like a year ago, almost <laughs> in, in, in real time as these comics go, but still, you know, in our minds, the very mm-hmm. least. Oh, oh my God. Get it together, Conrad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Issue 13, the corpse, the killer, the judge and his vamp. Who's who? As Sean Phillip draws this sort of greenish blonde lady, I think with colored pencils here. Eli, on, on, on this cover of uh, issue 13, I guess? It's there. Da, da, da. I was already uh, looking, oh, at, sorry. Uh, uh, looking at the baby. No, it's, uh, it's all good. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, hmm. Yeah. Like, what do you, yeah, like, I this, have is, to, this is it, kind of an unusual looking, co- technique, looking yeah. cover. Yeah, so I'd, I'd um, love to hear the, your uh, your take on the, it. The layering of it, it could be a type of um, pastel. Ooh, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, I mean... It could very well be multimedium, but if I had to say one, it would be either uh, chalk or pastel. Nice. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll definitely take your guidance for it for sure. <laughs> it's just kind of a, it's an unusual look, I think, in comparison to the usual covers that we yeah, see definitely in uh, the in these comics. Um, yeah, but the, yeah, very mysterious cover. Inside, there's an ad where you can win some some Sega game systems, and then the editorial admits that the cover is kind of a spoiler um, about this new character in Armitage. That introduces the world of Bliss character by artist Robert Bliss and uh, mentions that Straight Jacket Fitz will now be moving from single page stuff to more uh, detailed stories, basically. Mid issue, there's an ad for that hot new bank that all the kids love Westminster Bank. Woo! <laughs> there was no letters page in in, uh, in issue 12, but it's back in issue 13. Every letter apparently gets a copy of the Judge Child Quest graphic novel. Letters ask for a history of the Justice Department, and there's hints of that in the coming story, uh, Armageddon, it's called, which we'll be seeing in a, in a, in a couple weeks. Others complain there's not enough adult content in the mag, but there's also just a fair amount of compliments for the mag as well. Um, Straight Jacket Fits is definitely very controversial. It seems like folks either love it or hate it. <laughs> and the issue ends with an ad for issue 14, which is going to have a cool poster, a cover by Simon Bisley, and more. And the back cover is an ad for Wrangler jeans of a dude in a superhero suit telling you to be more than a number. Which is, you know, a burn on like Levi's 501s or whatever, you know, (laughs) sort of gene posturing here, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But speaking of weirdos and costumes, Eli. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Multipurpose. Let's talk about story for Al's baby. Uh, Script robot John Wagner. Art robot colors to scare. Letting robot Mary Green. 
yeah, sorry for rushing through the editorials. I don't know if you had more to say, but like, no. I don't know. It's no. always not essential to me. So I just no. sort of try to I, I didn't, blast I, through them. I didn't have anything to add at all. Okay, cool. Just making sure. So how's baby? At, Viro- at Veruca, import and export, a bunch of uh, goons keep watch as we hear a very angry voice yell at someone on the phone. A cop observes things as Don Ratso Veruca gets into a car and drives off. Ratso is very short and a real asshole. He sort of like he calls some guy a comedian and then tells him to cut his tongue out. Thinks he's so funny. <laughs> his car gets caught in traffic when a lady cop on a motorcycle asks Veruca's driver to roll down the door or roll down the window and then tosses some kind of gas bomb into the car. Meanwhile, from another car, buddy Sal opens fire as the cop who reveals himself to be Al's wife, Velma, grabs Don Ratso and drags him into the va- into the nearby van and they both take off. Pretty sweet car chasing scene here. They jump, they head to a, a rising bridge and jump and jump from one side mm-hmm. to another, <laughs> escaping the pursuing gangsters and stuff. Very solid. Almost lost someone on the, that landing, but uh, the, you know, it's exciting times. But they do, yeah. Sal almost falls at the, at the back of the van as they land, but it all works out. You know, there's a pretty funny, pretty funny joke here as the as the gangsters um, in pursuit fall off the side of the bridge and just land in the water. And like their car is slowly filling with water as like harbor patrol comes to fish them out, basically. And I think it's funny because one of the goons says, hey, you know, look on the bright side. This isn't too bad. And they're like, why? What? This We, we lost the Don. What are you talking about? It's like, yeah, but listen, like if the Don had almost been kidnapped and, you know, but we saved him, he probably would have killed us for mm-hmm. allowing him to be almost kidnapped in the first place, you know? <laughs> right. That's why you got to be careful with your goon relations, Eli. Exactly. That's a that's a story. That's a lesson for me to you for sure. Yeah, reward them for when they save you, even if you know you were allowed, they allowed to kidnap, or else you just have high turnover rate, and then you're not yeah. going to have the goons. You know, yeah, you need loyalty at least from your key goons, like your right. your your main bodyguard goons. You want some loyalty there. You right. know, you can't exactly. just rule rule with fear from the, from, from those ones. <laughs> So uh, we see the leader of uh, Al's crime family, Don Luigi, chasing his mistresses around on his wheelchair when the phone rings. Very sexy <laughs> opening here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's Al and he's taken Don Ratso prisoner. He puts uh, Luigi on the phone with Ratso and the two Dons talk. Luigi wants to end the war. It's bad for business. But because of that, he wants a peace deal. And that basically means that will end the fighting and Ratso pays him 20% of all future earnings. Ratso says no. And Luigi's like, I'll give you a day or two to think about it. And if you still say no, then we'll make the same offer to your brother, who will be the new Don. Sort of mm-hmm. implying that Ratso himself will be dead. Um <laughs> Anyway, since um, Al, since Sal, who is of course the mother hen partner of and uh, underling of Al, um, has both Al and Vera together here, it's time for some baby lessons. Oh, you got to practice for this baby stuff, you know. Step one is diaper changing, but the doll they were going to use for this was forgotten by Al. Oh no! Luckily, Don Ratso's short and just small enough to be roughly baby-sized, so he'll do in a pinch. <laughs> and things get real weird as they pull, as they rip his clothes off and make him wear a diaper. As Sal snaps photos and they practice like bottle feeding and giving baths and stuff like that. Like this is, 
this is somebody this is 100 like there are people that are paying a lot of money for this stuff to happen on clips for sale right now right. or whatever is what i'm exactly. trying to say um <laughs> Ratso isn't into it though and Sudi can't take any more and agrees to Sarcoma's peace deal which is good times because we see in the teaser for next issue coming up next on Al's baby the contractions start <laughs> that voice is very accurate for that title like uh, that's yeah, the no. correct Pretty... amount of of horror and fear that goes. Yeah, you're right to be scared. You know why? You know, listen, <laughs> when Al actually produces this baby, that's going to be bad times. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking, oh, I don't know. Nah, I don't have a good transition, Eli. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, they don't all need to be great. You know, sometimes we can just start the next one. Yeah. Speaking of mysterious sure ladies, know. maybe. Um, okay. Like, like Vera and this new chick who shows up. Let's talk about Story 5, Armitage. Or competent ladies like Vera and uh, Treasure Steel. Oh, yeah. S- script robot Dave Stone. Art robot Sean Phillips. Letting robot Steve Potter. To last episode, Armitage and Treasure Steel were being threatened by a giant war droid. Bad times. Now, that droid controller who's in a mysterious room full of guns and stuff uh, pulls some levers and activates the machine. The judges dodge lasers as Armitage sort of in narration explains that these drones are from the corporate wars. And they basically – you give them some DNA and they lock on to it and just go until they kill whatever their target is. And now it's Armitage, which is bad times. <laughs> Luckily, they're in the uh, morgue. So Treasure is able to just grab a corpse and toss it onto the sensory apparatus of the drone. They're able to escape. So it can't like find anything until it sort of cuts its way free of this body. Armitage leads them to the gene bank. And we learn that when you become a judge in Britsit, they take some of your genetic material. And if you're good enough, then they'll eventually they'll clone you to make like more judges based on your template, essentially, which is weird. But here, here you go. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, he grabs his own sample from the fridge, and when the drone shows up, he hucks it at it, which causes it to target itself as its target, and so it blows itself up, basically. <laughs> Sadly, this also destroys a lot of the gene bank, and Warner, that blue-haired sort of high-ranking judge that Armitage arrested last episode, has been released by Special Brands, and so he shows up to dress Armitage down and does the classic, like, you're off the case, and then suspends him, give me your badge, clean out your desk, etc., <laughs> <laughs> at a nearby pub, Armitage and Steel commiserate as Steel looks at this death threat note, sort of Jack Ripper inspired that we saw at the very start of this story. She isn't sure about the note, but she does know who the killer is, which causes Armitage to have a full on uh, spit, spit take from his pint. Do you think uh, like uh, agents get tired of the stereotype seeing it in movies? Like, I feel like it doesn't really happen like that where people are like, you know, you're off the force. Give me your badge. You're you're on the edge. And it's a much more like come Listen, to the office, you, they have a meeting, and then like they're a lot more roundabout. It's true. Yeah, there's probably a lot more paperwork around it. <laughs> and there's probably like it just, just doesn't happen on a whim. But you know me, Eli. I love a cop on the edge, which is very right. much what, what Armitage is. Right. And so I, appre- so I feel like him being forced to turn his badge in, but he keeps investigating the case – <laughs> is very much the tropes that I'm looking for for right. this story, you know. Right. Like I would say, if this didn't happen, I feel like this story would be missing something. That's what I'm trying to say, you know. I feel that. Yeah. 
But so Treasure has this theory for the case, but they can't check it because they're suspended and can't access files to prove it. Luckily, Armitage knows how they can work around this. They'll have to steal the files, and to do that, they got to visit a friend as they drive down the street. And as they do, they pass like a kid who's like running across the street who's wearing a red and black striped shirt, which and is the spitting image of the uh, UK version of Dennis the Menace. It's a little Easter mm-hmm. egg there, I think. Nice. From the uh, long-running comic, The Beano, I believe. But anyway, uh, Steele tries to explain her her plan as they arrive at the house of someone Armitage o- um, who owes Armitage a favor, knows a lot about cyber systems, and it's a blonde lady wearing just a robe. Oh yeah. <laughs> In the editorial this time, we learned that we learned that her full name was Lisa Marsh. They don't actually say it here. Um, Armitage asks her to get something from special branch branches. She goes to put some clothes on and we see that her closet's full of like fetish outfits. Like there's like a nurse costume in there and some other stuff. But there's also a uh, a Judge Anderson costume in there, which is kind of funny because she is kind of a blonde lady, like Judge Anderson is. Right, because I know they had side, uh, but they don't have the name on the. Side no, right? no, side judges have the word Psy written on their right. badges, which, which is what I think this one has. Okay, But, yeah. you know, it's not – like because this is like a Mega City 1 uniform in Brits. Got yeah, it. This okay. is – like this is clearly not like a, a uniform – like to me, this isn't saying that she's a judge or whatever. Okay. It's just saying that she's got a lot of uh, like a fancy, fancy dress costumes. Yeah. And one of them is um, an Anderson costume because she's like a – uh, an attractive blonde lady or whatever. That's fun. I like it. <laughs> yeah. As the sun sets, she's broken into special brands and Treasure has her look up one of the victims. I believe Judge Hand, I think. The archives judge who we saw at the beginning of the – killed at the beginning of the story. It seems he had this big scar on his abdomen that he got when he was a super when he was supervising a young Judge Armitage and took a laser razor um, cut mm. to the gut. <laughs> But when Lisa does some technical magic on Han's body, his body doesn't have that scar. Hmm. Mm. Curious. <laughs> Back in the old new building, Treasure Steel explains her, her, her point, which is that, hey, if you wanted to kill a bunch of people, maybe you'd throw people off the scent by creating a bunch of false motives and different connections just to kind of cre- like create false clues and red herrings and stuff. And if you had the, and if you were a judge, you could even use the gene bank to grow yourself a spare body and then kill it, just sort of throw people off the scent. But if you did that, you'd probably have to like give it a bunch of fake wounds to hide your old scars and maybe even do something weird, like because the feet, its feet wouldn't have calluses or whatever, maybe uh, cut the skin off of its off of its feet, like we saw Judge Hand. Hand's body had in previous episodes. Very clever. Mm. The whole thing could be a red herring, but then there's a noise and the very same Judge Hand with a visible big scar on his stomach is running at our heroes using a robot arm as a club. (laughs) Next time, High Wire Days. And I think we should be wrapping up Armitage next episode, actually. They just uh, did the reveal, so... Naturally, yeah. they need to, uh, you know, take the mask off. He needs to say, and if it weren't for you meddling kids, I would have gotten away with it. And then, you meddling Britsit judges. Right. And then they're like, man, Armitage, you're the best judge on the force. Here's your badge back. And then 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But speaking of uh, Mega City Weirdos, let's talk about Story 6, World of Bliss. Uh, <laughs> art robot, Robert Bliss, letting robot, or uh, writing robot, I guess, Robert Bliss and Igor, good, uh, gold kind. So World of Bliss seems to be a bunch of character sketches by artist Robert Bliss. Um, who is different from the famous uh, gay r- artist Robert Bliss, who died in 1981, for the record. Mm. But um, this collection seems to all be members of a Mega City One family called the Millstones, I guess. There's Grandpa Egbert and his Green Skull and Flames Lederhosen and weirdo friend Erky, um, there who's some kind of uh, human weirdo, kind of a. I guess you these days I'd say it's like a uh, like that guy in the Island of Doctor Moreau or a mini me, but that's <laughs> too early for all that. Um, there's giant muscular housewife Dishmilla, murderous younger daughter Inchworm, uh, mysterious chicken-based guy Scalamooch. Older daughter and demonologist in training Hydra, top DJ Gherkin, and gimp suit wearing Uncle Cleaver. Whoa. <laughs> and all these guys are wearing like very tight clothings with uh, weird pat- – like a skull-based patterns and stuff like that. Right. Oh, yeah. A lot of anatomy and exaggerations on it. But the uh, skin uh, and muscles look really nice. Definitely, yeah. The shading. I like a lot of – yeah, like there's definitely like – just going to the extreme with a lot of the musculature on these characters mm-hmm. or ultimately the lack of musculature mm-hmm. in their um, very tight clothing, you know, right. mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of, a lot of dude nipples on display, et cetera. Right. Like, you know, a lot of things <laughs> going on, <laughs> but that takes us to, to uh, let's speak, hey, again, speaking of crazy people, let's finish <laughs> up with story seven, the straight jacket fits. Um, so script robot Dave Bishop, art robot, art and lighting robot, uh, David, uh, Robert Langridge, I should say, Robert Langridge. And we see a Dr. Drongo Stabbins using some aftershave as his tape recorder now meets a new patient, a man named Slap. And he just kind of stands there motionlessly until eventually he just starts slapping his, slapping his face with his hands all the time and gets taken away as Stabbins cries in despair. <laughs> Final, like a character focus here. Savage recorders a little uh, uh, toy dude, and his patient's just crawling all over him. It's a lady in a red mini skirt, kissing, stabbings, and doing all this stuff. Her name is Soho. She's here by accident. She's supposed to do five to ten for vice offenses, but got sent to the nut house instead. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, fancy a go, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess now that we've met all these characters, we're going to start using them in longer form stories, I guess. That's what it seems like here as we go to the straitjacket fits the next aberration, aberration, which is like uh, Star Trek, the next generation sort of the thing here. Um, although the actual space setup we have is sort of a mix of TOS and TOG or TNG. With like, you know, there was that uh, Captain Kirk kind of character we, we, we met previously. He's taken on that role. And then a lot of other folks is, you know, like uh, Stabbins is Spock. One of the robot doctors we've met is Dr. McCoy. Uh, Soho's Ahura, stuff like that. But a uh, Nurse Honey here is as a very TNG uh, counselor, De- uh, uh, counselor honey like uh, Deanna Troy. <laughs> Also in the corner, we've got special guest star Jack Nicholson to complain about things. 
<laughs> just one flip of cuckoo's nest stuff. Anyway, general Star Trek jokes here, and especially actually um, TNG jokes, just making fun of the fact that Troy like sort of senses random things, but doesn't really add much to the story or something like that. Which I don't agree with, man. I like Troy. Whatever. Come on. Um, suddenly, that dude that thinks he's a tree has joined in the game as well. Although he seems, and he seems to actually be sprouting twigs from his fingers, which is pretty interesting, I must say. But suddenly, Adolf, the tall dwarf who's Scotty, sees an alien menace and it attacks him. But it's just that killer toupee that we met, also. So whatever. Just all these people playing spaceship, I guess. Yeah. In the end, uh, Stabin said they should escape this place before the bad jokes kill them. But mm-hmm. then Counselor Honey notices something wrong because in the little inset circle, it's clear that Jack Nicholson has escaped. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I find it so strange that they're going with Star Trek jokes in the Judge Dredd universe. I feel like there's enough weird sci-fi already, like, but, you know, whatever. That's just how crazy they are. You know, they're watching these old – like, it's so funny just of um, – like, I don't know. I, I always like this this stuff where you think about that they're putting on – like, basically, these people are putting on a stage play about Star Trek, mm. which in 2113, where this takes place, is a show that's like 150 years old. Right. And that it's like – It'd be like you and me putting on a show that's about something from like the 1850s or something like that, you mm. know? Right. And it's like, I just don't, I don't like, maybe pop culture just freezes or something, but it seems like it wouldn't last that long or something. I don't know. It's just a funny idea. A uh, uh, small aside, I always yeah. like thinking, you know, as uh, we get faster and faster at creating media and content and binging, mm-hmm. I do feel like um, uh, content with large history, they get revisited more often. Mm. Uh, yeah, so you're right. I, I uh, could see, you know, if things just keep going the way they are and episodes and shows and movies just get smaller and more condensed and condensed, then I could see people going back to, you know, Star Trek and sorry, you know, these big, big. I mean, uh, I guess, I guess it's, it's enough of a property that it sort of stood the test of time to this point and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, whole thing. Um, but yeah, with that, oh, geez, we finished up our task as the uh, magazine issues 12 and 13 lies in our rearview mirror, Eli. And with that, I got one question for you, which is what were your top and bottom stories? All right. Let's see. I can put straight jacket fits on the bottom, even though oh, I think sure. it's, it's getting too easy now. Now I'm just – I mean, now it's getting extra pages. So All it's right. sort of – again, it's its trying to be a real story. So, right. you know, it can be. But yeah, that is sort of definitely a good whipping boy post as opposed right. to sort of making a bold statement. You know? All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, hmm. Uh, top, I'd have to go with hmm. – Really like an owl's baby, but I'm still really enjoying um, Armitage. Uh, I'll go with Armitage. Um, uh, the, the art, I, the more I look at Armitage the, and they're like full page spreads, mm-hmm. the more I enjoy them. And uh, although they are going for some, you know, pretty standard tropes, um, they are still surprising me with the twists in some ways that I didn't predict or expect. Uh, nice. And they're doing a good job of actually giving me the clues. Like yeah. all of it's there. We I could have figured it out if I was paying attention. <laughs> it, it's not like that thing where uh, they reveal the end and then they just give you a bunch of information you didn't have, and they're like, "See?" I'm like, "No, yeah. I didn't see." That's rude. Uh, I know yeah, a lot definitely. of movies do that, but um, yeah. So I'm really enjoying 
the story and the art from that, I think, the most. Nice. And you're saying straight jacket fits for your bottom here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's, your, what's your bottom, I guess? I, it would either be straight jacket fits, um, but I know there was um, – I forgot the name of it, uh, but that um, – because it, it wasn't a story. It was just like a bunch of uh, – Oh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the world of bliss thing. Yeah. I was – you know, it, it, I don't know if Straight Jacket still goes below it because I, I was going to give them like, you know, negative points for, you know, where's the story? Where's the narrative? Yeah. Uh, but I like the art so much that I'm like, you know, maybe I'll give it a pass. Straight Jacket fits. Uh, I'm not really digging the story and the art. I – it's – doesn't really vibe with me well. Yeah, it's very cartoonish for sure. Right. And um it's you know, it's just um more caricature. It's um yeah. one of these things right it's not connecting to the dread universe in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh it seems like a separate thing and I think I'm yeah. docking it a lot of points for that. Fair. <laughs> cool, man. Okay, so I think for me I like, oh, for me, top is definitely between Al's baby and uh, Armitage. <laughs> I really like this, like these two issues of Al's baby really set, I think, what I like about it the most, which is you've got this one issue that's like this gunfight and this car chase and all this stuff. And then – um and like just this real like 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 real like uh, action heavy like cool thing. Then the next one is just straight up like absurd absurdity and silliness, <laughs> and just like over the top weirdness and stuff. And all of it is wrapped up in Carlos Escara's amazing art style and stuff mm. that I really love. And um, oh, it's just a lot of fun to read and to kind of like go over and stuff. To, to read and go over it. I, I think it's a really fun story. But I'm really like an Armitage as well, I think. We haven't – like I'll, I'll say like we – like the mystery is not a very common genre of story in these comics. Mm-hmm. Like in 2000 AD or another Meg, I guess. Right. But I've really enjoyed the, this mystery that we've had in Armitage and being right. able to put things together. Like yeah. previously when we saw that like Han didn't have skin on his feet and then Treasure talks about like calluses and stuff. And it's like, ooh, maybe that might use vat grown too, right? Or mm. like even just between 12 and 13 where we see who's controlling this war, this uh, droid thing in this mm. room with all these guns on racks and stuff. And now we're back in the Black Library and we see all these guns on racks as well. You know, just sort of yeah. these little hints that we can kind of put together as um, – diff- you know, as um, – what I want to say, you know, as like clues and sort of that right. let us at least maybe if you even don't, don't um, recognize them initially, just mm-hmm. how they add up to be like, uh, you know, you're sort of solving the mystery as the characters do. So kind of right. like, but it's one of these, like, I like a mystery where, you know, maybe if you're like an ultra genius, you can solve it right away. But I think the best mysteries are ones where you figure it out like a moment before the character figures it out if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense right so you've so that you're able to feel smart as mm-hmm. the narrative continues basically right like if you figure it out if you figure it out too fast then you feel like the character is dumb because they don't get the stuff that seems obvious to you you know <laughs> right. and they and if the character figures it out too fast and you don't know then mm. you feel dumb so you right. kind of want this balancing act you know <laughs> Right. what is it and it's um i know what you mean like um they have had mysteries but it's always been just for dread 
and he's figuring yeah. it out kind of without really filling you in. He's just kind of yeah. like, this is the thing, and this is why, and then now I'm here. Um, yeah, and I'd say I'd say like when Dread has a mystery, it's more just like all right, like I'll keep kicking ass until the answer reveals itself, <laughs> as opposed to actual like deduction or whatever. Like I wouldn't say Dread's very much of a detective, you know. He just sort mm-hmm. of follows the obvious clues, and then things reveal themselves, you know. Right. Um, but so yeah, I so I think I might join you and say Armitage is at my top. I do really like the storytelling, and like you said, like Sean Phillips's art is really great, and I love mm-hmm. yeah these full page spreads are really cool, and just sort of these different locations, little British things and stuff are very <laughs> are, are are a lot of fun as well. That's funny. Uh, that was my bet. I was like uh, between the two, I was like I'm pretty sure Conrad's going to pick Armitage. They uh, he had to turn in his badge. Conrad loves when people get their badges taken from him. But See, yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> you're you're banking on my love of cops on the edge, which is right. a little bonus information for you. <laughs> I will say a lot of time, like I'm I'm not above picking something else, like picking like when there's two ones that I like, picking the opposite of what my co-host picks, just to mm. sort of talk about it some more. But I feel like we talked about Al's baby as well, and mm. I am digging Armitage, so it's good times. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then my bottom. Listen. I'll I'll go straight jacket fits. That's fine. Um, <laughs> straight jacket fits. World of bliss. Both of those are definitely on my bottom. If I was forced to pick something else, I'd probably say dread. Just because again, I find this raptor character to be very derivative, mm. and so it's more like. But like you know, there's a way things can be derivative where it's sort of fun. But this feels more like it's just sort of a bunch of different tropes stapled together or something, which I'm not as big a fan of. Right. But I don't gotta mm. pick that. So straight jacket fits all the way. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you're fine and enjoying the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch the Go Play Store, uh, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at Big Meg One. At gmail.com in the 2084 is on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. For all those, just check out Big Meg One. That's Big Meg O-N-E, and you'll find us there. This show is brought to you by Z- Steve Green, Zane Kipmiller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent awards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox from Space Spinner and myself. Then come back next time as we take a break from episodes and take a look or take a break from regular magazine issues and take a look at the 1992 Judge Dredd yearbook. It's the first one of these yearbooks, and I'm pretty stoked for it, as it seems like a reg- like an annual with all the fat cut out. But I guess we'll see. Uh, could be anything. Until then, I'm Conrad Bear Eli, and we are Big Meg One. Drop it. Now.